Hey everybody, we got an awesome show for Sawdust Talk tonight. We've got Nick, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. We're going to get everybody in here. Hopefully we can keep the technical difficulties to a low roar, and uh, we'll get rocking and rolling. Look at all of these cool kids. Let's do some of this, some of this. Maybe. Braden. Well done, sir. <laughs> what up, what up, what up? Not a whole lot, man. Today has been a day where... You've had a day. The unexpected has been around every turn. Yeah, you, uh, you have had a day. So did you figure out... Uh, was your was your fraud fraud or did you just get no. drunk and order something online no uh sometimes when you book cheap air flights um they have this way of signing you up for things that you didn't realize that you were signing yourself up for and uh yeah i thought that my flight plan was going to end up getting canceled but after several calls with customer service i should be in a pretty good shape so i'm all right so Bills got paid, everyone's happy, and fraudulent charges got uh, rejected. So that, that's kind of cool. Well, that's what you get for booking your airlines with Frontier with a U. Yeah. Yeah. Frontier. Fr fr fron frontier. Let's see here. Is Nick in here yet? It does not look like it. Does he know that he's on this evening? He does. I messaged him today. Uh, let's see if I can message him. How do I? How do I message on Instagram when I'm in a live? Probably have to dip out or ask one of our lovely audience members to uh, get it worked out. Like Mister Wooden Mustache down there, be like, "Hey, send Nick a message and be like, hey, the Sawdust Talk guys are looking for you.'" Can somebody do that? Oh, I can get all my messages on the computer. Yes, do that. But yeah, we'll get it figured out. What about you? What kind of new and exciting things happened for you today? Uh, I got two orders. With which I'm, oh, there's Nick. He just joined. Um, Sweet. I got two orders, which is two more than I'm used to ordering. I got to order, I got to reach out to uh, Amy from Coral Way to get, uh, I got to get a new batch of the reef oil because I've just used up the last of mine. And uh, I had to redo an epoxy pour because I had seven different colors on here and only only one color wouldn't cure right, so I had like one little soft line, and everything else was fine. So, and then there was crying, and a lot of crying. It was ugly crying. Was there like a, a really exciting rage moment? Nick, it do you want to do you want to invite yourself in, or do you want me to? Maybe I'll just reach out to him. Let's do one of these. One of these. Maybe. Nope. 
Did he put in a request? Nick, did you request to come in? Because it looks like I cannot request it of you. Maybe so. Maybe not. Ooh, yeah, just see and see it out and try again. I have it's going to require, like, the world's greatest registration of your workpiece known to mankind. I have a strong enough understanding of how to do that, but my luck is not there. I have so many just, like, deep cuts into my spoil board because I'm not – I'm smart enough, but I'm not lucky enough. All right. Uh, Nick, there's a little camera-shaped thing with a plus on it. Hey, Veteran Zone's got us. Um, you're going to click that and request to join. And if it doesn't let you, we'll all pop out and make everybody come back in again. Because it's just that kind of day. I think we can all agree that, I don't know, is it a full moon or something? Or Beats me. It was crazy. It's just crazy. It's too bad we can't just, like, invite people in, like, force them in. Well, yeah, so, like, I can normally do that, but for whatever reason, next to his logo, it doesn't allow me to ask him to join. And I have no requests. So we might pop out and pop back in again. We'll give it not so. It's, like, right next to the chat window. Yeah, right next to the chat, there's, like, a little expand thing. Uh, oh, here, he sent me a picture, and it's, of course, the smallest picture I've ever seen. Oh, Nick, you got to do it on your phone. Ah, drag. Computer. Is Pineland and Elite the same people? What uh? What are you turning lately? Are you done with those oh, big bowls so, or? No, I'm I'm working on a commission job. It's like not especially sexy, but a uh, local artist has sort of a complex project. There we go. Uh, see all of these things? Yeah. Right. So I've got boxes of them over there to finish up, but uh, they need to have a perfectly centered from top to bottom hole drilled, but it's offset like yeah i don't know if you can there i get the light right but yeah so it doesn't go through the middle it goes through the side um and there's four pieces and a base to the project and i've got a little bit more drilling to do so that's why if i pan the camera around or whatnot you can see yep i got my drill chucks and stuff in there so slowly banging those things out one piece at a time and what are those all going to B? Are they going to be like put through like yarn and make like the biggest arts and craft necklace or? So they get mounted on a piece of acrylic and it's a sculpture and all of the parts of the sculpture are actually modular. So if you get them in a couple of different colors, you can sort of mixy matchy, which is kind of fun. Um, so it's a cool little design. Okay. We've got we a go. request in theory. Let's see here. The fact that Instagram won't let you do lives on a computer is the most irritating thing to me. Hmm. 
am I not getting a request? And why can I say, aha, aha. Maybe we got it fixed. He's in the dark. Yes. Yes. And look at that. Oh, gotcha. twinsies. Oh, look at us. Samesies. You guys are so cute. I feel like, yeah, I feel like we called each other. Like, I need to go get my glasses on or something. Somebody's got to go put on a different prom dress. This has got to be so embarrassing for you guys. <laughs> uh, All right. So, yeah, yeah I, guess, I guess we should have given you a heads up that it doesn't work on a computer, but I've never known anybody else to try and use Instagram on a computer, so. I didn't know. I've never done one. Your first time? Oh, that's so wonderful. Laugh. I'm glad that we get to be the first. It'll be a safe and welcoming environment, and for the 25 or growing number of people that are on there, it is after 10 p.m., so I hope the kids aren't on the Instagram tonight. But this is going to be Sawdust Talk After Dark, which means there will probably be profanity. And we're going to probably talk a lot about titties. So um, just brace yourselves, <laughs> boys and girls. There's uh, there's going to be a lot, lot of talk about titties. <laughs> so um, if that's something that you're going to find offensive or would like to mention in the chat a word that you would prefer that we use instead so that we can cater our speech to your delicate sensibilities, it will be taken under advisement, but I can in no way guarantee that we will comply. Yeehaw. All right. So we'll welcome everybody to Sawdust Talk tonight for Wednesday, May 31st, um, 2023. I'm going to be running the show tonight. I'm TJ with TJT Workshop based out of St. Louis, Missouri. A uh, majority of the woodworking that I do is wood turning. I am uh, a bowl maker for the most part, but uh, I am going to be just racking Nick's brain about furniture making because I do like handles, but that portfolio that you have on Instagram of your furniture work is awesome, man. It's, it's really cool stuff. Uh, Braden? Uh, I'm Braden with Little Bug Woodworking. Uh, I have a bunch of tools and I make it all up as I go and usually it involves wood. So that's, uh, that's what I got. Nick, tell us about yourself. I'm Titty Nick. I mill a bunch of titties on wood pieces. Uh, I'm an architecture model maker by trade, but I dabble in woodworking, CNC woodworking, digital fabrication, all things wood. That is. Uh, I want to start well, off with. I want to start it off with the the obvious question. Titties, like, how did that? How did that happen? How? Where? Why? <laughs> so I guess when I started on Instagram, I was just trying to garner views. So I was like, I think I can do this. So then I started off the first couple, uh, they were, I started off with vases. So I was doing um, kind of parametrically designed vases. And then kind of modeled the sphere with a smaller sphere and then a smaller sphere. And then that kind of developed into, they just keep getting kind of more realistic, but not super realistic gotcha and so does it start as like a 3d model that you then drop into a, a g-code sort of translator to put together the path for your mill or is this something that you have to sit and 
make sure all of that stuff all talks to each other at the same time. So I use Rhino with RhinoCam, so it's all kind of integrated like uh, Fusion 360 is. So I can do 3D modeling and cam work in the same program. So it's easy to it's easy for me to adjust and fine tune that way. But and then in in real time, I can get computer renderings of what the toolpaths are, and then before I generate any G code and leading up to all that, it was you run test cuts and everything else. That's too. so rad. Now I've got a. A very very sweet spot in my heart for the the dirty milling that I do in my workshop on a drill press because I'm a I'm a hillbilly with a cross slide vice. Um, don't don't do that, boys and girls. It's dangerous. And if you do, make sure you're wearing your safety squints, right? Because um, you don't know how to have fun until you have the chuck in your drill press come loose in a piece of metal. That's uh that's about as much much fun as most people can handle in a night. But so. Titty handles are popular. Titty vases are popular. And what I like going through your portfolio was seeing that a lot of the vases sort of come together like segmented turning, right? They've got sort of the layers built thusly. Yeah. Um, do you foresee yourself going into sort of like multi-axis points on the rotational axis and milling that? that way in the not too distant future because that's what all the cool kids are up to on the lathe so, so uh, i don't understand for the majority of your your projects that i've seen your, your i don't know your rotational axis is that four right um yep stays registered at a specific point right and it's centered on that cylinder but if, if you can take that center point right so you got my front finger my back finger and then change the registration at angles and then rotate again. I don't know what it would do to putting together your paths or how it would affect the tooling, but uh, multi-axis turning was one of those things that I was like, man, I wonder if you can do that on a mill. And it doesn't come off as basically just a huge error. So I can't, the way mine's set up is uh, zero is on zero and then it runs in some t-tracks so i can't really move that the the platter of my fourth axis weighs about 200 pounds so i i mounted it on the machine and it has never come off the machine so all of my tolerance is clear um, i got like two inches in between my toolbox everything the the piece i have on there wasn't even specced for the machine i just thought it would work so i called haas and then haas was like no that's not going to work for your machine i was like i don't see why it won't work can we i'm just going to order it anyways and then we'll put it on so we got all that to work. So I can't really move off center, but uh, 3D modeling wise, I can model things that aren't in the round. Kind of with the boobs, you get the humps and then the back and the fourths. So that's kind of an example. I've done a couple other bases where things get kind of shifted, but you're still working inside that and you're still rotating around a true zero, zero to zero point to point, if that makes any sense. Um, but something like I did a, a treasure box with the tufted pattern on it. So that I didn't mount at zero. I mounted it up like off of zero because it was about 12 inches wide and I can clear about 12 inches. So I couldn't put that right. In the, I get a cleaner tool path if I offset it up because the way the tool path generates, it goes in a radius all the way around it. So little workarounds like that are pretty easy or not easy. I got you. They're easy once you figure them out. Very stuff cool like stuff. It sounds super easy. I understand most of those words. <laughs> um, 
So, okay, so obviously you're known as Titty Nick, uh, so that's a that's a pretty obvious thing you do. But I mean, your your Instagram is it's a it's it's like a straight portfolio of crazy furniture. Like, there's not there's not a basic set of cornhole boards or something like everybody else has on here. Like everything here is art. How did you get into woodworking? How did you get into like the types of projects that you make and you know, tell us maybe about some of like the furniture that you make. So I try, I try my best to, I guess, come up with unique ideas and designs and what I think is cool and what I've seen other people do. And then I put my own twists on those things and try to develop. I've been trying to develop my own style. I guess people know me for the titties because I'm milling titties in wood and those are always crowd pleasers, but furniture, I mean, I got started doing scroll saw work when I was 15. That was about 20 years ago. So those ago intarsia now. pieces so are not done with computer aid? You just camped out and trimmed them all up like, like that? Dude, that, oh, I that's, that's really, really, really cool stuff. I, uh, I was really hoping that that was the answer to that, too. That's really cool, man. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no. This was all before cncs were like i guess consumer available um probably when i was around 18 or 19 my dad ordered like one of the first shot bots off of their line like we got it at a big discounted rate because it was one of the first machines and that came that was kind of before youtube too so it came with a big binder manual and read the manual and, and people were just making machine. stuff and not putting on youtube and then, like they just made it to make it back then it was magazines yeah, to submit a new magazines or have the editors reach out to you. Does your father make furniture professionally or does he exist as an enthusiast as well? You've got an image of him with a gorgeous <laughs> walnut wine cabinet on the inside. So we do, uh, yeah. He, I guess both of us, we kind of call it an extreme hobby, woodworking. For us, he never did it professionally. He doesn't, he doesn't take on too many like jobs or anything. He, he used to work in the hospital as a biomed and he retired last year so now he kind of works for me so i kick him the jobs that i don't have time for or i don't want to do or he doesn't do a lot of design work but he can build anything with a plan so if i can supply him with a 3d model of a dresser he can build that dresser that's really cool so if we don't include the cnc in your response what do you would you say is the most vital tool for your your woodworking hobby business table saw the table saw oh yeah that's the heart of even the cnc even the cnc projects they all all that lumber gets processed through a table saw very cool yeah i'm a bandsaw man myself that's but i can take it i'm shocked at how much more i like the bandsaw after i put a good blade on it like when i got mine i thought the blade was sharp and like it cut stuff sort of and then i put it on a new blade i'm like oh i just love i love cutting everything on this now yeah and you've got a laguna also right yeah i uh yeah. i grabbed a buddy i've got a buddy who basically crawls facebook marketplace for me so i never have to uh because he has a bigger problem than i do um and so he just sends me tools all day long and I 
tell them like, dude, stop. I can't afford all these tools. And we found one and it was in Des Moines. So it was about three hours away. And he sent it to me and they had, uh, the guy had a bandsaw and a table saw, a Laguna table saw. And my buddy wanted the table saw. And so I worked out a deal and we went from literally like we found it at five to driving there at six and basically just told my wife like, Hey, I'm going to be home at like midnight. And, uh, we brought brought this thing back and it was the guy must have used it like, like twice it was pretty much brand new that's great yeah and you can just you can just shove whatever you want into that laguna and it just just doesn't going. care yeah no it's a, a hoot and a half uh nick tell me more about the uh the tattoo chairs because these kind of make me just like mildly uncomfortable in like a haunted movie sort of way. So I, I'm a big tattoo enthusiast, if you couldn't tell, and uh, started getting some work done on me from what, what I would consider probably some of the best tattoo artists in Chicago, if not the country. And those guys run like a world-class shop and they're getting these, I think they're spa chairs that they recline and do all of these, like you can put them in any position you want to. And they're like, we don't really like the way they look. Let's, let's start to customize them. So the first one I did was the, like a solid walnut veiled virgin carving on it. And then that sparked the other guy we were talking about, like a kind of satanic thing to kind of counterbalance the other one. And then he kind of said, he plays a lot of video. The other guy plays a lot of video games. So he's just like, I want to do a death stranding chair. I had no idea what it was. So he sent me these clips and then he sends me this picture of a baby in a pod. And I'm like, I think I can work with that. So I get online and kind of start looking around for stuff. And then I draft them all up and 3D model it all and oh, so fabricate sick. it all. So that's primarily made in wood. So cool. So the whole carcass of that one is uh, hickory that I just I sprayed with black poly. The baby was milled and cherry. I had to do that one twice. So I tried to pour the epoxy. So I milled the baby and then I milled a foam mold and then I glued the baby in the mold and then cast epoxy into that mold. And I wanted to do it all as one shot. So I had to cool down my paint booth to like 60 degrees and try to do a pour and that one ended up cracking. So I milled another one and then cast it in a bunch of la like 10 different layers of two inch thick segments. Yeah, that thing is just bananas and watching like i've watched through the videos of you seeing out the baby and the whole time i'm just like i don't know why i feel uncomfortable with this but uh but i don't care for it and i feel haunted now for watching it so it's a uh, dude it's crazy how cool these chairs are yeah i was joking with him i made that before dave scanned me and i'm like if if I would have had a scan of my face before I made that chair, that <laughs> I would have been sweet. <laughs> a man, baby, a little bearded man, baby, cast. Oh, that would an orange epoxy resin. Just so much worse. I mean, better, but worse. Like worse in a better way. <laughs> um. So yeah. So you bring up the maker scan. Uh, why don't you tell us about the mallet and how that came to be, and what it is for anybody that wasn't at, at WorkbenchCon. So uh, I guess the mallet 
the Maker's Challenge Central does a mallet challenge, and I think they've they've done two, and I won I won both of them. So the first time I did tufted mallets, a set of two, two a dead blow, and then just a regular mallet, and then for the second one, I had the idea a couple months before they announced it, and then they announced it, and I'm like, all right, I'll wait until this thing starts. So I was like downloading every single or Dave. 3D DIY Dave had traveled the country and scanned 80 different makers in the Instagram community and then uploads all those files for free. So I downloaded all 80 of them, chopped the heads off, and then kind of arrayed them around a cylinder with a bunch of columns and a Game of Thrones motif and then made the maker mallet all four axis milled and then more epoxy. Yeah, that's a, that's a phenomenal piece. And it looks quite hefty. Is that just... An illusion, or is it a real beefcake of a mallet? Well, it weighed okay. a little over eight pounds. <laughs> it was very much uh, so a more a sculptural art piece than it was an actual functional mallet. But the goal, my goal with the whole thing was the faces had to be big enough that whoever's on there can tell that they're on there. I, I, I always felt like I was, it would be a failure if you were on there and you couldn't tell which one was you. So I did a mock-up and I'm like, eh, it looks good. It's going to be a little big, but it'll work. So I swung it once once or twice before I polished it. So it is a functional mallet. Not that it's ever going to be used again. Well, and again, I mean, like, like something's got to drive those pins into your mortise and tenon desks that you do, right? Like, why not that? But yeah, speaking of which... Are you currently working on any more of your waterfalls and live edges and bigger utility furniture pieces? So the last, the last table, the last walnut table I've shared on Instagram, I actually had, I'm working with a photographer now. So he shot, he's with me at both my shops and he shot the whole thing and he's editing a YouTube video of that now. So that'll be coming soon. It's kind of our third uh, full-length YouTube video, edited by not me, <laughs> not crudely edited Did by you, me. And also, uh, just a quick reminder to the people in the audience, if you have questions that you want to ask Nick, be it about uh, tatas, handles, CNC work, or, you know, what his stance on the movie RoboCop is, um, hit the little question button down there at the bottom, and uh, we'll try to get to him before the show's over. Jesse's question doesn't have to make it into the, the actual questions because I about choked on my root beer. Uh, whose face would you use to pound some wood? <laughs> oh. And that question's fair. <laughs> um, I've been talking, or Grant, Grant Alexander from the Clamp Podcast, uh, we were chatting a little bit about how he was really disappointed he didn't get scanned at Maker Camp last year when Dave was there scanning people and I was like get scanned this year and I'll put your face on the front of like a sledgehammer and we'll do a gigantic maker one so that's who's uh, that is awesome so what so the... can we talk about the mid-century chair for a minute it's a, a walnut chair with a, a blue cushion on it did that start mm -hmm. as just sketches or did you have inspiration or do you want to tell us a little story about that because i think that's it's a absolutely gorgeous piece so that i mean the original z chair was designed by paul paul jensen 
um, in the 50s or 60s. But Joybird, a cheap knockoff furniture company, making their version of a Z chair now. And my mom kept talking about ordering one. And we're like, no, don't fucking order one of those. Like, those are garbage. Well, I'll make you one. So then I kind of took his as a big inspiration, but I guess put my own spin on it. So I made it more of a lounge chair than a occasional chair. And it's wide and shallow and low. And then and that was kind of, uh, I'd been saving up wall, like figured walnut pieces. So all the pieces I didn't use on any regular furniture, I kind of put in the corner. And then I was able to use all of those pieces to make that chair. So it's a highly figured yeah. Walnut. No, it's absolutely gorgeous. And was that a project that you did for the most part without the assistance of CNC or um, how did that sort of fit into the mix? Was that a part of your workshop or your workflow at the time? Um, yeah, it, it was a good mix of handwork and CNC work. So I kind of CNC routed out all of the templates to I laser cut. I laser cut templates for that one and then flush trim, pattern flush trim them. But then like the posts on the back had these like oblong tenons that I wanted to fit in. So I, I milled all of the back slats on the four axis mill and then uh, the cross members and then the seats where it's just easier to do on a CNC than it would, do, would be to do by hand where they have holes to go through for the, the bracing, the strapping, the stuff below the cushion. So it's got to wrap around like an internal piece of the wood. And I didn't want to dowel that in or anything. So I just fully integrated it by using. Very cool. Very machine. cool. And so that sort of gets you out of some of the pitfalls of having figured wood joined with tenons and dowels. That's, that's super clever, man. That's awesome. So that was just, I, I don't know. When I, I guess tackle projects, I, I'm not, I use my hands, I use all the tools in the shop and whatever gets the job done, I guess priority number one is what gets it done the best. So if the CNC is going to cut it better than I can cut it by hand, I'm going to use the CNC to cut it. But then there's also like time frames. If I got to do a hundred parts that are all square, I'm going to run through the table saw. If I got simple curves and I can use a flush drum bit, I'll laser cut a template and then I'll rough them out on a bandsaw and then flush them on a router table and I use all the tools. That so what's the, what's the one tool in your shop that doesn't ever get used for anything? Like there's always something that everybody buys that just never, ever gets used. So I, I just bought, uh, I guess in January now, it's been a while. I bought a cyclone from Odyssey CNC and that took the place of my miter saw. So I no longer have, I have a miter saw on a cart that sits in the corner, but the miter saw doesn't get used anymore. Don't need it. I was only using it to break down material. Any finished cuts are being done on the table saw with a sled or a miter gauge. I like that. I went for two years without a miter saw, almost to the point of uh, a point of pride that I didn't have one. And so like I was breaking down stuff with the sled on the table saw, but I was also breaking down like eight foot two by fours when I had two on the table saw and the whole thing was super sketch. But I like not needing the, the miter saw. Yeah, the really the really big stuff I'll I'll chop down with the circular saw real quick. And I've got a track saw too. So the wide the wide long stuff will get chopped with a, a track saw. But for the most part, table saw. That is it's awesome. So what do you think is next? What is what 
what is the direction? Are you moving towards the, the long form YouTube videos as sort of a direction you want to take your portfolio? Do you have a project that you're comfortable sharing with us or uh, things that you've got in the pipe that you think sound like a good idea? Um, I don't know. Um, I guess it, it just always seemed like YouTube was going to be the next step. If I want to keep moving with social media stuff, Instagram is so weird and kind of volatile all the time now. Things that I expect to do really well on Instagram don't do really well. And the things that I don't expect to do well do well. So I can't get a graph on it. So I'm looking for, I guess, a little more straightforwardness. So if I can build a YouTube channel, or I'm trying to, in the process of trying to build out a YouTube channel now. But it's not, I want to do, I guess for me, it's trying to do it my own way. I don't, I'm not narrating videos or anything yet, but. I don't know. <laughs> and it's always something new. But in terms do you of, do sort of like a fly on the wall during a build process or do you sort of try to shove a camera into as many steps as possible and you get what you get or do you want to talk about that procedure? More and more so. Yeah, more and more so I'm trying to film more and more. But I don't know. When I dive into a build, it's I'm building and I'm designing and I'm tweaking and from the computer to the shop to handwork and it just doesn't camera never really fit in my workflow before but i'm trying to do kind of the fly on the wall thing now where i've got a couple of jorgensen clamps that i just i don't have i don't even have a tripod for my iphone so the the videos that i'm proud of i've outsourced to someone who shoots videos and edits videos so i would like to move in that direction but my guy guy isn't available at all the hours that I'm available and so we do some like even when we were, we were filming the maker mallet it was he was working third shift and I was working first shift so we were meeting up at 4 30 in the morning to film after he got off work before I went to work for four hours so we'd start shooting at 4 30 and then shoot till eight he would go home and go to bed I would go to work and then I would go home from work and go to bed at five or six and then come back and do it all again the next day you gotta I mean, want it, right? I'm gonna be honest. Somebody tells me I have to start doing woodworking at like four in the morning. I'm just gonna give up woodworking. Gee whiz. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was. I mean, that was a, a big project for me where I wanted. I wanted as much of it that I, as I could get on film on film. So I told him about like when I had the idea of the Game of Thrones thing. I was just like, we can do this wall of faces. I'll figure it out on the computer, and then we didn't really get to. Re record any of that because I couldn't figure out how to screen record and then a lot of that footage is I don't, in my opinion really boring of just like it's the same thing nobody understands what's going on because everything everything on a computer for me is hotkeys so it's I'm pressing PM TR EV you know just to I'm not clicking on, on tool buttons so I, that would be really hard to explain quickly in like a, a short format video. yeah and I uh when I, I first got into, when I kind of went down the rabbit hole of following people who sculpted uh, miniatures for D&D &D to be 3D printed. And a lot of them would do process videos for their modeling as they were sort of sculpting and ZBrushing. And uh, those were always kind of fun from a time, time lapse, but you kind of lose 
how time intensive some of that can be right and again some of your your vases and all of that there's there's probably a little bit of math behind it or you're you know extruding and and cutting stuff out but oof that's a that's a lot man yeah there's a math plays a big role in all of it but that's all uh parametric design so i can punch in parameters and have it create things for me and I, if i ever basically for me it's anything that i can visualize in my mind i can model on a computer but i would like to get into more of the iterative design where you punch in parameters i think ai is going to be cool once they go once it's consumer ready for 3d stuff it's like i want to I want to model like myself as a transformer, but like a Ferrari or something, you know, and maybe that'll come up with a full 3D thing that I can work with. Or I want to design a piece of like a jewelry box in the shape of a Lamborghini engine. You know, I mean, that something. sounds so kind of things. That sounds pretty rad. So can with. So there's no. The head on your mill is exclusively up and down, right? There's no articulation to that. You can articulate yep. the piece. So I was trying to, I was going to ask if you can do captive shapes on your mill. And that would probably get kind of tricky really quick. Sorry, just thinking out loud about cool stuff that you can do that I just can't. So we looked, I guess, here. Here we looked at a, a five axis platter for the same machine, but the cut size was so small because your four axis rotates like a lathe and then your fifth axis would be that lathe, but it can also articulate up and down and around, giving you, I guess, five sides of an object instead of four sides of an object. But the cut size was too small. So that was the biggest I could get. And the architecture office I work for used to have a furniture designer on hand on staff so he would design furniture and then i would build the furniture for the architects here and he's no longer here but we still do i still dabble for the architecture office with some furniture but it's kind of more architecture model related instead of what i would call high design makes sense but then i guess, I guess to answer your question again it's we can mill four axis, but there's always ways of fixturing to get the undercuts and stuff. So um, I'm working on a uh, cocktail smoker for uh, Build Dead Build right now. <laughs> and he's like, he sent me one of his, and he's just like, I want you to titify it. So I did that, but that's a four axis operation, and then a, a three axis operation, and then another flip three axis operation to get all of the pocketing and stuff. So it's basically milled from all six sides, but. There's, I just figure out. But I think my one thing. Titifying a cocktail smoker would possibly break the internet. That is, uh, that that's two pretty hot button items right there. Uh, do, I'm looking to get that out do, to him this week. Do you titify stuff at an hourly rate, or do you have a flat charge for just adding titties onto things? <laughs> You got to pique my interest before I'll, I'll take the job on. Yeah. So I got a, I got a pretty I, long I, list. Of I would be stuff. lying if I wasn't a little bit jealous of uh, Pat Lat's bull gouge handle. That uh, that one came out real nice. That's a, that's a fine piece right there. Yeah. He said, I 
made him two different versions. Like he showed, he's shown one so far, but maybe he'll show the other one sometime. But I was just like, these aren't the sharp. It's a lot of a lot of sharp nubs on there and pumps. And then he, I guess he was talking to Jackman about it. And Jackman's like, that can't be comfortable. And I'm like, I don't think it's comfortable. I never did turn anything with it. Like Pat installed the hardware and then he did turn some stuff with it. But that was funny. That's one of those things where it was like the kind of the man hours in it would never, oh, no, like that would never be profitable. So it's, I made the, I made the ones that I was, I wanted to make just to make, basically just to make it. But then so many people reached out like, Hey, how do I get one of these? I want one. I want one. And I'm like, at the price point, I would have to charge. Like it would offend you to hear the number I would have to charge to make it worth the time. Uh, I've noticed you do that with a lot of your projects that you'll, you know, Hey, I'm making a batch of, you know, three or 15 or, or whatever. And then I, I'm not making these until I feel like it again. Is that, I mean, is that what you do with a lot of your stuff? Is just you batch it out and then the customers come to find you for it or? Yeah, usually, I mean, I've got a few things left on the website, but usually it goes before, usually all my stuff goes before it even makes it to my website. I don't want to, for the batching out stuff, I don't want to photograph all of it. So I just I put out a feeler in my Instagram stories and usually somebody scoops it up that first day. I don't, I don't usually have to share too, I, I don't usually have to share too many times about any certain thing, but like the brass knuckle, the knocker knuckles, those were like, oh my God, they went viral on Instagram and it went viral on TikTok. And I had hundreds, if not, not thousands of like emails, like, hey, I want to buy these, I want to buy them. I'm like, technically, they're not even legal to make their own here. <laughs> I did it for internet views. So I did a, and then the other thing is, you set up these machines to do it, it kind of seems like a waste to only do one because there's a lot of time in the prep and the jigs and all this stuff. So if I can batch them, I try to batch them out all in, a, if I, however many I can make in a week or something, whenever I Which it sounds like, like you don't have a lot of. But, no, not usually. But those are, the brass knuckle ones, it was just like, I think it's funny. Like the, kind of the play on, people's emotions you get people who are just offended that it's a spiked murder weapon and it's like it was never these will never be swung at a human being it's a piece you put on them it's an art piece they don't i don't know Le it's, some people get it legally people, i think they're paperweights just weird. they're referred to as paperweights yeah paperweights or belt buckles or um so, so uh, I, my my question was, what is the thing that keeps you coming back, right? I mean, like, we all love a paycheck when they roll in. Uh-oh. Am I cutting out? Or is it just Nick? Nick. It's just Nick. Okay. Nick, if you, can, if you can still hear us, blink twice. Blink twice if you're okay. I've got a, a spinning round thing on Nick. Yeah, he's got a pinwheel. Oh, man, that was such a good question, too. Well, I'll ask you, Braden, you, since I can hear you, and maybe he'll <laughs> yeah. drop off. Hey, he'll be back in here in a minute. So what what part of, of woodworking is still bringing you joy, right? I think there's a, a fair bit of fatigue going on in the Instagram maker community, and there's still hype here and there, but but what is, uh, what's still bringing, bringing you joy? Yeah, and I've kind of started feeling that, and I mean, I haven't been, I don't make or, you know, make stuff 
in any volume than a lot of other people do. So I feel almost disappointed that I get burnt out on stuff, but I was getting in there with like cornhole boards for a while. Um, the thing that keeps me kind of going with it though, is even with stuff like simple, like cutting boards, if you, when you finally give that to somebody that has no idea how to make whatever it is that they, they purchased or you're giving them, the the look of amazement drives me like it fuels me um so like i do a lot i do probably a uh more charity donation stuff than than any business should reasonably do um mostly just because it's to me it's a ton of fun to you know to get products that i i kind of want to try out different stuff and then you know not necessarily worry about finding a uh finding a customer just you know just give it, it to somebody that they'll they'll appreciate it so i just like trying stuff keep it fresh yeah i'm currently obsessed with reading about woodworking um i have i have finally put the money together to get uh the stick chair book from christopher schwartz it's a lost art press and man it's i mean it's prose it's not poetry but he he writes with a passion and it is uh it is a captivating read for sure that one's lighting my fire and it was purely coincidental if you believe in coincidence that i had just gotten to the second half of the book where the plans for the chairs exist and uh i don't know maybe 85 foot tall white oak tree toppled over in the common ground behind my neighbor's house so it's less than a hundred yards from my shop door. And so I now, now I'm rich with all of the white oak that I could ever want, want to make, yeah. make chairs. So we're going to, we're going to try and get one of those together by like maybe Labor Day. That's sort of the, the long-term goal. Are you going to be able to wait for that to dry out? Because I know you can turn green stuff, but you know, with like furniture, you gotta, you gotta wait till it's a little drier than that. I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> no, there's a, find uh, there's a, a fair bit of, of especially chair making that you can do with green wood. You just kind of have to approach it a little bit different. And you have to think a little, little bit about the joinery that you do and how wet versus how dry the pieces are and how they interact with each other. It's just a couple extra thoughts. I mean, it sounds all poetic and fancy, but like, it's just, a couple of considerations that before I had read the book, I'd never thought about before, but totally makes sense. If you hang out with, with Greenwood frequently enough, it's, it's pretty cool stuff. I'm going to stick to my dry wood. I'm, it just doesn't move. It doesn't bend at least not as much, or at least somewhat more predictably. It seems like going with green, just, uh, it's just one more variable that I can't, I can't get my head to wrap around. I can barely keep dude, it that, keep it running the way it is. Dude, that chaos is like like some of the best stuff, dude. Cause like it's a reminder that it was alive, dude. Like that's the thing, is that like it it had tree juice in it, right? I mean it's water and xylem and phloem and even like the sugars that are in trees and I mean like I'm a spalting junkie also, right? So like the way that airborne and groundborne funguses 
interact with the guts inside of the tree, man. They're like, it's all, it's all documented. It, like it's all out there to learn about. If you just like go chasing it down, it's cool stuff. I'm getting poetic talking about the life cycle of the trees and the, you know, you, you should be getting poetry here. I maybe, man. I don't know. We've got uh, London plain and sycamore trees locally right now. I've been talking with my wife about this, like nonstop for two weeks. Um, that I think are succumbing to a fungus, right? And we've got emerald ash borers also taking out all of the ash trees locally. And now we've got, it seems like every single sycamore or London plain tree is sick this summer. Like they're all sparse and I don't know if they're going to seed out. And I really hope that they don't all come down. I mean, I'll do my best to put as many of them to, to good use as possible, but it's going to be a shame to see, you know, like 5% of the trees in my city turn into mulch so fast between the ash trees and the sycamores. And then you've got Dutch elm disease, right? Taking out the, the elm trees too. And it's like, geez, so, right? Like it's just, just it's, it's nuts. Well, you got beetles for ash. And I mean, there's something trying to take out every single tree out there. Then you throw yeah. us woodworkers at it, and <laughs> we're going for the other ones. This is why you should become a green woodworker. Green. I'm just thinking. I'm wood a, grows on trees. It's everywhere. I'm. I can. I'm just thinking. T-shirt idea. Got tree juice, dude. I'm telling you. And then we'll put Nelly on there. She only want me for my tree juice, right? Or we'll put me on there with a big grill in my mouth and it'll say, I'm about to let it loose, my tree juice. There you go. <laughs> oh, friggin' late, guys. I told you, this is, this is Sawdust Talk After Dark, man. Um, so we've got a question in the chat. Do, 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 do. Uh, uh, Mike Carmack wants to know what a good book would be to read up on that information on trees and, and wood. Oh, boy, what did I do? I pressed a button. Is everything still okay? I think we're still okay. Yeah. Um, oh, Nick, Nick said that his phone died. He should be hopefully putting. Yeah, he's gonna get. He's gonna get a, a little bit of juice in there. We got a little bit of time, and um, you know, you know, going to sleep is for for suckers. And we can. This is this is sawdust talk after dark. Um, but yeah. So so uh, Spalting One Hundred and One is a good procedural book by Doctor Sari Geringer. Um, she's in charge of, of the Department of Applied Mycology at uh, a college in the Pacific Northwest. I want to say it's Oregon, maybe. Um, but yeah, she's, sorry, not she. They, they have written a handful of really, really cool books on spalting and sort of the mechanics of fungal interaction inside of wood and how that's affected things historically. Um, really cool. And they have a Patreon for her fungal society. And if you really want to get into it and you want to start purchasing various strains of fungus to start spalting your own wood, uh, you can totally do that. And it supports her, supports them getting interns. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, and then, I don't know, read the internet, ask questions, buy a chainsaw, go to the woods, you know. Like, uh, I we should probably put a disclaimer on don't just wander into any woods with a chainsaw. Dude, this is Sawdust Talk After Dark, man. 
That's how every horror movie starts. Yeah, but see, you're the one with the chainsaw. Like, come on. That guy always dies, though. I mean, everybody else does, too, but... Um, you know, I mean, like, they get sequels. They can't always die. <laughs> there he is. Right, I'm back. Sorry about cool. that. Cool. He's back in the game. All right, man, we've got two questions from the audience that I haven't taken a look at yet, but the question button is working on my phone. Uh, Chris wants to know uh, what's brand of your 4-axis uh, CNC? Uh, the one you see the most of is a Haas TM1 with a 4-axis platter attached to it. I do have a Cyclone from Odyssey CNC now, and my Cam Master has a 4-axis um, attachment on it as well. Okay, and so this first one that you discussed is... Uh, reminiscent of a bridge port in its design. So it's got a, a fixed head with a big number three or number four Morse taper, call it in there, holding the bit, rock steady and running on three phase power. Yep. It's a, uh, I think cool. we'll call them a vertical milling machine. Okay. Very cool. And then do you guys also have horizontal milling machines or are you exclusively vertical with tables? No, I've got a, a four foot by eight foot cam master as well. Okay. Very cool. And then the follow up question is why the titties? And I think we kind of covered that, but I think uh, all of your fans, all 14 of them that are still sticking around at almost 11 o'clock central, um, they want to know why why the titties? Because it's fun. Right? Trying to, give, trying to give the people what they want. There you go. Fun is fun. In a, in you know, in a world with so much unhappiness, give the people what they want. That's what I do. <laughs> it's All fun right, for so, me to make um, them. I don't know what the last thing that you heard before your phone cut out, but my question was, is uh, what's getting you motivated these days? What is sparking joy for you in the workshop? And what, what gets you to throw your apron on or put your mask on and, and get out there and make some dust? Um, I guess the cool projects are kind of driven by social media. It's what do I think or what hasn't, what do I think hasn't been done or what haven't I seen and trying new things. And that's kind of where the, the segmented four axis carvings came from was I didn't really, I hadn't really seen anyone else doing it. So started doing it. And then as I did one, you see kind of patterns emerge and what would it look like with a different pattern or a different shape or this texture with this wood pattern. So kind of the overlaid and the unpredictability of some things is what's the, probably the most fun for me. And then I guess the other thing is when people come up with crazy ideas, like I want 200 titties carved on a baseball bat. And like, I think I can do that. So I try to 3D model it. And once I get a 3D model, I can make it. Cool, and then you bore it out and put racquetballs or super balls inside of it and seal it up, right? <laughs> we could. No, those are yeah. hard pieces too. Also, very uncomfortable to hold in the hand. I I, I gave it I one could... good full swing, and it, it's got a bite to it. Ah, uh, gotcha. Oh, you don't think... we, got, we got another follow-up question in here. Do 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 do. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, our friend at Black Bull Blanks wants to know how do you incorporate laser into your work? So primarily, I 
I mean, Lilies has got tons of functions for me, but primarily I use it to brand my work and to make templates. But even like with the Maker Mallet, I was doing segmented wood rings, but I also in between all of the segmented wood rings, I was laser cutting eighth inch Baltic Burks as just kind of a break in between the wood layers. So that one, I guess the Maker Mallet was uh, a combination of all of the digital fabrication techniques. I, 3D printed a mold for the epoxy. I 3D printed jigs to like even inlay my logo on there. I 3D printed the handle that holds it, laser cut things, laser cut a template to do flush trimming to make the segmented rings, and then CNC, three and four axis. And when you're doing your segmented rings, are you knocking those out with essentially like a segmented ring? tool or guide or miter on your table saw or do you just put your flat stock in, into the cnc and say i know that it's going to give me these shapes at these angles and i'll get what i want that's another one of those things where it's like the cnc could do it but it would take longer than doing it on the table saw so uh, a couple years ago i built myself a little adjustable wedgie sled and that's what i used sure. to cut all, all the segments super cool man Braden, you got anything stewing in the pod? We've got more questions coming from the audience as we kind of start winding down. Yeah, so uh, so we met at WorkbenchCon, and I think I'm only going to stop asking people WorkbenchCon questions uh, a week before next WorkbenchCon. Uh, what was your experience? Was that your first time going? And what was your experience there? What are your thoughts? That was my first big gathering of a bunch of people who, do similar things to what I do so it was crazy I was completely overwhelmed and kind of beside myself the whole time and it was hard to take anything in let alone everything that we wanted to take in I don't it was wild uh, Nick were you, were you by chance on the any of the Waffle House adventures that we've heard about were you a part of any of that nonsense I went to me and Luke Alma and Dave went to Waffle House for breakfast one morning, but it was an adventure, but I haven't heard about the other adventures. Oh, there's stories every, and fables. Everybody went to Waffle House when it was free and open. I never actually saw it open. Uh, yeah, there was the first one we tried to go to was closed, and then we had to go, uh, I don't know. I don't know my way around Atlanta, but we went to a different one because the closest one was closed. Uh, were you overwhelmed with all of the people there before or after Lindsay just started yelling titty Nick in the atrium as loud as possible at like 11 o'clock at night? That was, uh, what was that? That was the day before Workbench started. Yeah. So we got there a day early and that was the, I mean, that was the first thing. Alma, uh, uh, Alma walked through and like, have you met titty Nick, titty Nick, titty Nick? And that was the theme of the weekend for me. I mean, yeah. Like, I'm going to throw it out there. I've heard way worse nicknames. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind it. I like it. Uh, yeah, that was that was the moment I'm like, I got to meet that guy. I want to be his friend. <laughs> Nobody else in that hotel wanted to be your friend, but everybody, everybody in that lobby wanted to be your friend. So uh, a lot of people brought, like, T-shirts and everything, and you brought the – you brought the handles. What's what's next year's thing going to be? What do I need to bring a t-shirt for next year? I don't know yet. Something will click. <laughs> Say, Chris, uh, Chris from further north, 
sparked this whole thing. I was hanging out with uh, Bart Komar out at his farm. And Bart, I gave Bart one of the original. I think I made six. The first round a few years ago was six of them. And I was like, I don't want to make any more of these. It's kind of, it's boring. Now I've made hundreds of them. Um, but Chris was like, how do I get one of those? Uh, I'll trade you a t-shirt. You going to WorkbenchCon? And then that's kind of when I decided I was going to go to WorkbenchCon. And I was like, all right, if I want to make his, I set it all up and I'll make a dozen. And I think I ended up making around 20 and brought them and traded them all away. I I feel so, so lucky that I was able to buy mine on t-shirt credit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, boys. The time is now 11.01 which means that we probably got to start wrapping this thing up. Um, before we go, Nick, I'm going to ask you to give us a motivational quote or a piece of advice or sort of your Columbo. One more thing. Um, to maybe get our, uh, our people in the audience this evening motivated to get into the shop, kick open some doors, collect their dust and start making more stuff what you got bud for i guess what i go by is i don't half-ass anything i try to full-ass everything so you can always do it better um that's kind of how i do it the next one will be better than the last one i like Just it keep at it i like it man i really appreciate you giving us the time this evening with your celebrity self and telling us the stories of your your workshop and regaling us with the multitude of steps involved in titty handles um it's uh it's good did we miss anything was there anything that you really <laughs> never mind that I answers made, my question I made this yesterday that's absolutely lovely the big brother piece. how many pieces of pine you got laminated together in there oh <laughs> the hand plane kills me that is majestic <laughs> you gotta get him a pair of glasses but that is that is a d light right there he's darkening up real nice cherry to match the handle and the that's best part wonderful is you, you don't have to worry about anybody stealing your tools if you have your literal face on them yep <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Okay. So everybody that's still left in the audience of the show, there's a little carrot like right here. If you poke that on your phone, a little drop down duder is going to show up and it'll give you an opportunity to follow all the cool kids here that were on the show tonight. And if you're not following Nick, that is a foolish endeavor. You should be paying attention. He's doing a bunch of really, really cool shit. And with that, boys and girls, I hope to see you all next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Um, get out there. Go make something. See you guys. See you guys. Thanks, guys.